0: Well, how's it going, Salt Company? Good to see you guys. Hey, who's enjoying this weather? Oh, man. I love it. Okay, hey, just to double down on leadership, hey, who loves their Connection Group leader? Come on. Let's go. Yeah, show them the love. Guys, here's the thing. There's nothing special about your Connection Group leader. Connection Group leaders, I'm sorry. There's nothing... There's nothing special. But just like Max said, the awesome thing about student leadership is it's students who have had other people invest in them and it's helped their relationship with God. And now they're saying, hey, I want to leverage my college experience to help other people experience what I've experienced. And so you can do that. You can invest in people like outside of student leadership. But from what we do, this is like one of the best things that we do in terms of helping you to do that. And so my encouragement to you is, hey, even if you're like, on the fence, like even if you like, oh, I don't, I have so many insecurities, I don't know if I could ever do that, just consider it. Okay, just like, just think about it, because I had all those anxieties, and I know so many others did as well, but would you just consider it? Would you come to the interest meeting uh, after, after tonight, 10 minutes here uh, in, the, in the auditorium, and would you consider just applying? Like Literally, the worst thing that can happen is like, you'll have a great conversation with us, and we'll help you decide, like, hey, does this make sense? And it'll be awesome. So uh, again, thank you guys for being here tonight. We're continuing our identity series. Tonight, I want to start with a question. Here's a question. What is a title or a job that you were given growing up that you were really proud of? Think about that for a second. What's a title? What's a job you were given growing up that you were really proud of? Because as kids, like, thinking about, like, we get excited about, like, the simplest titles. You know, it doesn't take much to get a kid excited. Like, the title, you're the line leader. Like, in in elementary school, like, you were, like, the coolest kid in the universe. Like, if you got to lead the line that day. Right? Like that title, like the responsibility that comes with it, like amazing, right? Or a, a bat boy, right? Or I, was, or I was gonna say bat girl, but that, that just sounds like a superhero. But like, like, to be the person who goes and grabs the bat, like, after, like at a baseball game after they throw the bat down, it's like, it feels criminal that. You know, people can just say, hey, you want to be the bat boy? Just want to go pick up the, the things that we throw on the ground and bring them back to us? Like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Like, but as a kid's like, yeah, that title. I'm like, okay, I, I want that. Like, what's that? Like, what, what title have you been given that you've been proud of? Maybe as you got a little bit older, you were like the team captain of your volleyball team or your basketball team. Maybe you were class president. Uh, for me, one of the titles that I was most proud of when I was younger was the title title. Uh, First chair trumpet player of the Rolling Story Middle School Band. Pretty cool. Yeah. Hold your applause. Hold your applause. Yeah. So just to, just to prove that it existed. I don't know why. I could only find one in black and white. I'm not that old. Uh, pretty cool, right? Pretty cool. Uh, now, here's the thing about being given a title. Here's the thing about being given a title. Every title comes with two things. It comes with a role. You can take that picture down now. It comes with a role. <laughs> it comes with a role, right, responsibilities, and it comes with certain qualifications, right? So for me, guys, as first chair trumpet player of the Rolling Story Middle School Band, listen, this title, too, came with roles, a role and qualifications. Like, they don't, they don't just let anyone be the first chair trumpet player of the Rolling Story Middle School Band, <laughs> right? No, I was, I was an eighth grader, and so I'd played the trumpet for four years, you know. Uh, in middle school, my, my middle school band uh, instructor was like super intense. He, so in order to get an A+, you had to get 210 minutes every week outside of class of practice in order to get an A+. And so I was pretty competitive. So I'm like, I'm gonna do it. And uh, I, would go, I remember I'd go, I was, I did, I was not very... Uh, Moral about it, though, I would go down into my room and I'd spend like 10 minutes cleaning my trumpet. I'd like, you know, spend another five minutes getting ready. I'm using stuff ready. I'd play smoke on the water for like 20 minutes and then uh, and then put it away pretty slowly and like, boom, check. But okay, I, I did a lot of that. But over time, like, okay, I actually got a lot of minutes in. And so when I got to my eighth grade year, like was actually good enough to step into that role. And so there was qualifications. Right. And I also had a responsibility. Right? My job was to take the, the lead part. My job was to kind of set an example for the other people in my section, uh, which I also failed at because I got kicked out of band class quite a few times. Another story for another time. Uh, I was trying to build team chemistry. That's my argument. Uh, but guys, here's the thing. We've all been given titles in our lives that we've taken pride in that both have responsibilities that are entrusted to us, right? That they that, that come with the title and qualifications, right? Even if those qualifications are low, like, hey, can you pick up a bat and bring it to me? But it feels good to be given responsibility and to be entrusted with things, right? In a way, like these titles that we are given, like we, we, we attach them to our identity, We put them next to our name. Like when we introduce ourselves, like, hey, I'm Bob. I'm senior vice president of sales and marketing, right? That's like my title. And so that's like what I associate myself with. That's my identity. That's who I introduce myself as. So here's the question for the night. What is our title in the kingdom of God? What is our title in the kingdom of God? What role do I play? What responsibilities do I have? Here's my guess. My guess is that when we think about our role in God's big plan, for a lot of us, we don't see it as very big. We're like, oh man, like it's a big world. Like there's a lot of Christians. Like, you know, I'm pretty young in my faith. Like I don't know that much about the Bible. Like, uh, like I don't, like maybe a little bit, but like, I don't think really I have a big role. Or maybe if you're like, yeah, like, oh yeah, I know the right answer. Like, yeah, I we do have a big role. Like every God cares about everyone, and and I I'm I'm a part of this, right? But my challenge to to you even is to say, I don't I don't even know if I don't even know if you like actually see just how big of a role we have. And here's here's what I think we're gonna see. What if I told you that if you are in Christ, that is if you have given your life to Christ, you've been given a new identity and your title in the kingdom of God is bigger and more significant than any title that you've ever been given or ever could have. What if I told you that? Just like every, but just like every other title, this title that we are given also comes with significant roles and responsibilities. And we'll get to that in a second, but it also comes with qualifications. It comes with roles, it comes with qualifications. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Peter 2.9. We'll see what this title we're given is. Remember, Peter is writing to these churches, right? And they are being persecuted. They are being oppressed. And so he's writing to them in the midst of their suffering, trying to remind them, hey, don't forget who you are. Here's your identity in Christ. You need to remember who you are and stay grounded in that. So that's where we're at And in 1 Peter 2, 9, he starts to give these identity statements, okay? So we've just started this last week, and we'll get to the second one. He says, but you, listen, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so last week we looked at what it means, this, this identity statement, we looked at what it means to be a chosen race, that God chose us, right? Not based on our merit, but out of his love and compassion, he chose us and he, and he united us. He made us into a spiritual race, unified by the blood of Jesus. We are a chosen race, we're chosen people. Now we're gonna look at tonight that we are a royal priesthood. We are a royal priesthood. This is the title. This is the role. This is the title that, that Peter has given us, that we, we as believers are priests. Okay, so kind of an odd title, isn't it? Like, I don't, I don't know what, if you've ever thought of yourself as a priest. Uh, I know for a lot of my life, I haven't. Uh, still don't really think of myself like that. Um, what do you think of when you think of priests? I know for me, like, I, I think of like what they wear. You know, like a priest, like, oh, that's the person, like, who wears, like, the priestly robes. Or, or maybe they're not that type of priest. Maybe they're not the type of priest that, that wears that, that white collar, right? Or maybe for you, you grew up in the Catholic church, and so you're pretty familiar with priests. Oh, yeah, the, the priest. That's the ordained person who, who kind of leads the sacraments at our church, right? Who administers sacraments like communion, and there's this whole thing with confession that they lead, right? Kind of this super holy figure that's kind of on this different level of Spirituality. So if that's what a, a priest is. Then, and why does Peter say that we are a royal priesthood? That each of us who have believed in Jesus are priests. Right, this, is the, this is the title that Peter gives us. Well, to understand, I'm, I'm going to start with a definition that I think we see throughout Scripture of what a priest is. Remember, every title comes with two things it comes with a role and qualifications. So what are the roles and responsibilities and what are the qualifications of a priest? Here's the first one. The role of a priest is to be a representative of God. A representative of God. And guys, in America, we're pretty familiar with this represent, representative language, right? Like in politics, we have a, a state representative, people who represent Iowans to, uh, the, on a national scale, right? They're supposed to draw near to the people in their state hear from them, learn from them, and then go and represent them to another group of people, the Congress, right? Similarly, a priest is called to represent God to a group of people. And how do they do this? Just the same way, by drawing near to God and then going to other people and representing God to those people. So that's the role. What are the qualifications? Here's the qualifications of priests. There's just one. Moral purity. Moral purity. Why is this a qualification? It makes sense. Think about it. Because, remember, the role of a priest is to represent God. In order to represent God, you have to uh, first draw near to God, to dwell in his presence. And in order to draw near to God, you have to be morally pure. Because God is holy, and he cannot dwell in the presence of impurity. So we have to be morally pure. So this is the definition of priesthood. And here, here's the crazy thing, because I don't know, like, maybe you're a little familiar with Bible, maybe you're not, but like, okay, we often think, like, okay, yeah, I know there's something about priests, like, in the Old Testament, but that, that doesn't really show up until kind of later in our Bibles. But listen, by this definition, if this is the definition of priesthood, priesthood actually starts earlier. Priesthood actually starts in the garden with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are actually the first priests, by this definition. Think about it. What was the role of Adam and Eve? Right In the beginning, they were made to be royal representatives or royal priests, royal representatives. Their job was to rule over all of God's creation and to represent God to all creation. Right? They, 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 Just like a representative, they dwelled with God in the garden and then they go, went and represented him. They, they spread his glory throughout the creation. That was their role. And were they qualified to hold this role and live in the presence of God? Right, if you know the story, at first, yes. At first, like in the beginning, there was, there was no sin. They were qualified to have this role of priest. So they were priests. But then what happens, the story goes on, and they disqualify themselves. They reject the role of, of representing, being representatives of God that he had given them. They choose not to re- represent him. They choose to go their own way. They ate from the tree, commanded them not to not trusting in him, and in doing so, what do they do? They disqualified themselves. They no longer had this moral purity, and so God can't live in the presence of impurity, so they were removed from the garden. So that's that's a little context. So now we have this picture of the beginning of this idea of priesthood in the garden. Started with Adam and Eve, but they lost it. But now Peter is saying, but no, now you are a royal priesthood. So in the beginning, they had it, they lost it, but now we have it. So here's the question, like, what happened? Like, why why is that the reality for us today? How did we get here? Well, remember Peter, when he's given these identity statements, what is he doing? They're bolded. He's drawing back from these rich Old Testament stories. And in this case, he's drawing from a story in which God called another group of people to be his kingdom of priests. His kingdom of priests. So you can turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. And, and just remember from where we're at from last week. Uh, last week, remember, God appeared to Moses. In the burning bush. He chose Israel to be his people. He chose Moses to kind of have this special role to be the leader of his people. They escaped the Egyptians, and now they're on this journey to the land that God has promised them. And now on the way, on their way, we're gonna see that God gives them a new role, a new title as his chosen people. So here we go. Exodus 19. We're gonna read the whole thing. In the third day. In the third month, from the very day the Israelites left the land of Egypt, so right after they left Egypt, they came to the Sinai wilderness. They traveled from Rephidim, came to the Sinai wilderness, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Moses went up the mountain to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain. Okay, quick pause. Remember, this is like repeat of what just happened. uh, Moses went out into the wilderness, right? And and God appeared to him. He spoke to him from the bush. Now God is speaking to him from the mountain. And and what he's going to say here is extremely important. This is like one of the most critical verses of the Old Testament. This is what he says to Moses. He says, this is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. After Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded them. Then then, uh, all the people responded together, we will do all the Lord has spoken. So Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud that the people will hear when I speak with you and will always believe you. Moses reported the people's words to the Lord and the Lord told Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. They must wash their clothes and be prepared by the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put boundaries for the people all around the mountain and say, be careful that you don't go up on the mountain or touch its base. Anyone who touches the mountain must be put to death. No hand may touch him. Instead, he will be stoned or shot with arrows and not live, whether animal or human. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, then they may go up the mountain." Then Moses came down from the mountain to the people and consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. He said to the people, be prepared by the third day. Do not have sexual relations with women. On the third day, when morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people in the camp shuddered. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. His smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain shook violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai at the top of the mountain. Then the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain and he went up. The Lord directed Moses, go down and warn the people not to break through to the Lord. Otherwise, many of them will die. Even the priests who come near the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out in anger against them. Moses responded to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai since he warned us, put a boundary around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord replied to him, go down and come back with Aaron. But the priests and the people must not break through to come up to the Lord or he will break out in anger against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. So I want to just unpack the story a little bit. And guys, what I want us to see is like what's going on here is is, if we meditate on it, absolutely amazing. Think about it. Like the Israelites, they were enslaved in Egypt with no ability to rescue themselves, but God chose them. He chose them to be his people. He rescued them. And now he not only chose them, but what is he doing? Right right at the beginning there when God gives this, this promise, this covenant, what is he doing? He's now inviting them into his mission, right? He begins to give them titles. He says, You are my possession, out, you are, will be my possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. Right? This title of priesthood that kind of began in the garden is now being reintroduced to the people of Israel. And we start to begin to see it in, in action. Like they're starting to become, like, fulfill this role of priest. We see it on kind of this individual special level with Moses, but we also see it on like a corporate level with all of Israel. So look at that with me. So first with Moses as a priest, like what is, what is his role? To represent God to the people of Israel. His responsibility was to go up this mountain, to climb up this mountain and to dwell in the presence of God, to draw near to, uh, to God like a representative does, and then to go back to the Israelites and represent what God said to them. Like Moses is fulfilling this, this role of priest, which can we just acknowledge, like, again, like try to picture this. Like, he's not just going up, like, on this casual coffee date with God. Like, hey, how's it going? How's your day? Like, what do you want me to tell him again? Like, that's not what's going on here. Like, the language that's used to describe the intensity of this scene. Like, look at 16 and on. It says, there was thunder and lightning around this mountain. A thick cloud on the mountain. Very loud blast from the trumpet. I didn't recognize that. Shout out trumpets. So that all the people in the camp shuddered. They can't. It was probably me playing. Whatever. Uh, that was that was dumb. But listen, like the camp, it says the camp shuddered, like they were scared. They were scared at what they were seeing. Mount Sinai was it was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Uh, the whole mountain shook violently. Right as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder. This is intense. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai at the top of the mountain, guys. Like Moses isn't like going to meet Mother Teresa, right? He's not like going to meet like this, this sweet old old lady up here, right? He's going to meet Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth. God is choosing to physically dwell in the presence of Moses. And his job, his significant role he's been invited into is to go and tell the Israelites what he hears. And, and to tell them about this covenant that God is entering into With them. And if you start flipping through the the, kind of the next pages of your Bible, like the next 15 chapters are all about this communication. Moses going up to this mountain, God commanding what to, to go back with. This is where we get the Ten Commandments. We see other laws. What is Moses doing? He's fulfilling this role of priest. His role is to represent God by drawing near and then to go back to the Israelites. But see, Moses wasn't the only one given this new title of priest. What did God say? He said, I will make you a kingdom of priests, that Israel, all of you, will be my priests, right? Out of all the world, they are going to be the ones to represent God to the rest of the world. How is that going to happen? Again, a priest, God is going to dwell among them, and then through their obedience, they're going to declare to the world, this is who God is, we're going to represent God. They are a kingdom of priests to the nations, Guys, can we just like pause and meditate? Like it's, hard. it's we can say it. We pause and meditate gra- and like realize the gravity of like this privilege of this responsibility that God is giving them. I was uh, I was watching Interstellar last weekend. Uh, apparently, I'm a movie kick. Uh, Toy Story last week. Interstellar, great movie. Like literally one of my favorite movies. Uh, I cried twice. Um, so good. Yeah, it's, it's it's crazy because if you don't know the plot, like the world is dying. Right, their world is dying, and kind of this last-ditch effort to save humanity. Uh, NASA reaches out to Matthew McConaughey and says, "Well, he didn't, they don't really reach out. He, you know, he ends up there, and he, they just ask him to pilot the, the 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 spaceship to go and lead this mission to save humanity, right? To find them a new home in another galaxy, right? Like an incredible role that that he is given." Guys, this would be this is this is what it would be like. It's people it, it would be like if NASA called you. Right? Can you imagine that? Like some of you are looking at the people next to you, are like, I would not want NASA to call this person. But if if NASA, if NASA called you and said, like, hey, you, like, we need you to come be a critical part of this humanity-saving mission. Right? Like, I know like what my reaction would be, like, that, like, you've got the wrong person. You know? Like you, like. Who am I that I would would get to be a part of a mission like that? But this is the type of responsibility that they were chosen for, right? To dwell in the presence of God and to represent God to all of creation, to be a critical part of God's mission of salvation. What an incredible responsibility, an incredible role that they were chosen for. Okay, except that there's one problem, isn't there? And that is the, the, the title of priest doesn't just come with responsibilities. It also comes with qualifications. And God gives Moses these qualifications. And what are they? He says, this is who you will be. In the covenant, he says, this is who you will be. You'll be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Verse five, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant. In other words, if you are obedient and if you are morally pure. But remember, this is, this is kind of a problem, isn't it? Like because like Adam and Eve, we are sinful; they were sinful, and as we're going to see, like Israel was really, really sinful. So how are they supposed to achieve this moral purity so they can be called priests and dwell in the presence of God? Well, first of all, God gave them commands. Right? He gave them commands through Moses. In fact, in total, God would give them six hundred and thirteen commands as he called them to kind of meet this certain standard of moral purity, right? Even in the way they approach him, we just read about like all these things going on like in, this, in, in chapter 19, like even the way they approach him, like he gives them instruction because of, because of God's holiness, because of their lack of moral purity, there needs to be like this physical washing that needs to take place. They need to ab- abstain from sexual relations. They need to be careful about how they even approach this holy God. Right? There's all these laws, these rules. And so God gave them these laws to help them pursue moral purity. But as we're gonna see soon, like he also knows that even if they try their hardest, like they they still won't achieve true moral purity. And so he's gonna do another thing. And God is going to introduce the sacrificial system. Okay, and here's the idea of the sacrificial system. Because of our sin, each of us, we deserve death. We deserve to have our blood spilled out but out of God's desire to dwell with sinful humanity, he sets up the system where he allows the blood of an animal to be temporary, temporarily uh, kind of act as a substitutionary sacrifice to give the Israelites this, this temporary moral purity that allows them to dwe- continue to dwell in the presence of God. And so I'm going to go a little bit deeper, but not to go too deep. Here's, here's kind of how it would work. You can read all about this in Exodus and, uh, and in Leviticus, like some of the books that are harder to read. This is, this is kind of what's going on here. Um, so as Israel would travel to the promised land, God would continue to dwell among them in a physical way. But he wouldn't do so by, by kind of, because they had to keep going. He wouldn't do so by descending on a mountain. Instead, he would descend into the tabernacle which a tabernacle is basically another word for a portable temple. And so I'm going to give you a picture for you visual learners of what this might have looked like. And we can actually know pretty close to what it looks like because there's detailed instructions in our Bible of, how, to, of what they, how they were to build it. And so this is where the appointed priest would come to make sacrifices. And there was all this whole sacrificial system. There were five different types of sacrifices that they would make. Some of them they had to make every day. Some of them were more occasional um, and then Exodus 25 through 30 is kind of about all the construction of this temple. The book of Leviticus is, is all about the sacrifices. Uh, also, they could continue to dwell in the presence of God. But I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. I think he does a good job of just kind of summarizing what, this, what these sacrifices look like. So Hebrews 9, verse 1, it says, Now the first covenant, this is the covenant that, that Moses just received, also had regulations for ministry and an earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was set up, and in the first room, which is called the holy place, were the lampstand, the table, and the presentation loaves. As you kind of see, the first room uh, in, that, in that tent on the inner side there. Behind the second curtain was a tent called the most holy place. It had the gold altar of incense in the Ark of the Covenant, covered with gold on all sides, in which was a gold jar containing the manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. The cherubim of glory were above the Ark, overshadowing the mercy seat. It is not possible to speak about these things in detail right now. Go read about it in Exodus. With these things prepared like this, the priests enter the first room repeatedly, performing their ministry. So, Often they were, the priests entered the first room repeatedly every day, performing their ministry. But the high priest alone enters the second room, and he does that only once a year and never without blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. Okay, so here's here's kind of the point in all this. Israel has been called a kingdom of priests, which comes with amazing responsibility, but it also comes with incredible, like incredibly high qualifications of moral purity, right? And the only way that they're going, they're going to be able to achieve it for a temporary amount of time was to make thousands of sacrifices, which allowed them to choose one representative to go into the tabernacle once a year to offer more blood, all so that Israel could continue to live in the presence of a holy God. That's a lot required. Okay, we just talked about the qualifications, just moral purity, but there's a lot that goes into this. Guys, it's like being called by NASA to be the captain of this humanity-saving mission. What a privilege. Only to be told that that mission is virtually impossible. Like you are not qualified at all and you can't do it. Which is also kind of the plot of Interstellar. Uh, Spoiler alert, right? But it's an impossible mission. And when we continue to read on throughout the rest of the Old Testament as it follows Israel, they fail. They fail a lot. They fail to hold at their end of the covenant. They pursue idol worship, right? At one, time, at one point, they, they lose the Ark of the Covenant at the center of the tabernacle. They break every command, right? There aren't enough animal sacrifices to keep up with their moral impurity. And it leads to their destruction, So when you zoom out, you're like, okay, this idea of priesthood, like it failed in the garden. It was tried again with Israel, but it failed with Israel. So then again, how is it that Peter can call us today royal priests? Listen, there's only one way. And it's the same way. Right, the only way, and that's if we meet the qualifications. God's not moving the finish line. If we meet the qualifications, which on our own, we can't. So how is it that we can be called royal priests? How is it that sinners like us can dwell in the presence of a holy God? There's only one way. and It is not animal sacrifice. It is not working our way up the mountain by our own works. The only way that we can dwell in the presence of God is if God chooses to send us a priest, a high priest, to intercede for us. And that's exactly what he did in Jesus. But see, Jesus wasn't just any priest. He was the true royal high priest. And he didn't just, he didn't just come to represent God. Like he is God. And he didn't just come to make sacrifices because he was already morally pure. He came to be the sacrifice. Guys, scripture makes it more clear than I ever could. So I'm just going to read from Hebrews chapter nine. It says, but Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come in the greater and more perfect tabernacle. That tabernacle is talking about the body of Jesus. Jesus' body, the temple of God. Not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Because I'm going I'm to keep going. Hebrews 7, 26. For this is the kind of high priest we need. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins, then for those of the people. He did this once for all time when he offered himself. How is it that we can be called priests of God only if we meet the qualifications of sinlessness, which we can't, but Jesus did. For us. And when he died on the cross, the sacrifice was made. But his sacrifice is not like that of a lamb or a baby calf, but one that can be made once for all people who believe in him. One time for all people who believe in him. Listen, if you've placed your faith in Jesus right now, you have been given perfect moral purity. Jesus has given you his qualifications. He's given you his credentials. Which means now, yes, we can be called a royal priesthood. Guys, this is not an insignificant title that we have been given. Because there's so much here. And so would you spend these last few minutes with me? Would we just meditate on what this means for us, if this is our title as believers, that we are a royal priesthood. Let me go through these quick, but it means three really important things. Guys, first of all, it means that you can dwell with God in full. You are a royal priesthood, which means you can dwell in God with full. Listen, God cannot live in the presence of sin without sacrifice, but for us, the sacrifice has already been made in Jesus. He took our death and he gave us his righteousness. Which means right now, sitting here, we have more moral purity than Moses did up on that mountain. We have complete and permanent moral purity. Not because we are sinless, but because Jesus was. And now his moral purity is what defines our identity which means that we don't have to make any more sacrifices. We don't have to climb up to God on the mountain. But instead, God, listen to this, he's come to dwell in us. He's come to live in us through the Holy Spirit. And this is how we can know that we have met the qualifications of priests because God has come to dwell inside of us. And God only dwells inside of those. He can only dwell inside of those who have been made morally pure. So I don't know what, things that you are saying about yourself, the junk that you're saying about yourself, the things that you are letting define yourself about your sin, right? The, the things that you have done that are, that are wrong, the shame and the guilt that you carry around and you say, that's who I am. I don't know what you're carrying around, but listen, With the fact that you are a priest of God I remind you that only those who are pure in the eyes of God can be priests. So when we see we're a priesthood, we are a priesthood. What does that mean? We have been made pure. God sees us as morally pure. He sees us as he sees Christ. We don't have to dwell with God up on a mount. We don't have to dwell with God through this relation of a tabernacle, but he dwells in us. This title means that we can dwell with God in full, in full. Here's the second thing it means. It means that God has given, has, it means that God has called you into the greatest miss, mission on earth and in heaven. It means that God has called you into the greatest mission on earth and in heaven. Guys, maybe some of you were at the, the career fair this past week at you and and it can be stressful, right? When you're putting together your resume and you're putting down the titles of the things that you've done in the past, right? You're putting those things next to your name and saying, I hope, I hope this is enough. Right? And we're even like longing, we're striving for that one job. If I could just have that one job on my resume, right, that would be the title that would give me significance. That would be the title that would give me what I need. We're looking for these things to, to attach our identity to, identity to, these titles to define who we are. Guys, there is no greater title, there's no greater responsibility in life that we can be given than to be called a priest of God. Because what is the role of a priest is to represent God to the world. God hasn't just chosen Israel. He's chosen you. He's chosen us. He's called us to be his representatives to the world, to declare, to draw near to him and then to declare to the world how excellent he is, to declare to the, the world the good news that we have received. We have been invited into the most critical mission Guys, the title priest isn't just for religious leaders. Maybe you saw growing up, and people who wear robes, it's for you, and for me, it's for us. It means that God has called you into the greatest mission on earth and in heaven. Here's the third thing it means. Guys, it means that God has made us royalty. He just hasn't just made us priests. He's made us royalty. He right? says, We're not just a priesthood, but a royal priesthood. So, interesting thing here. In the Old Testament, the kings came from the tribe of Judah, and the priests came from the tribe of Levi. But if you were an Israelite, you had to come from one of those tribes to even have one of those titles. You, could, you couldn't have, and you could definitely couldn't have both. But Jesus was both, Jesus was the kingly priest. He was the king and he was the, the, old, the true high priest. And we have been called sons and daughters of God. We've been called co-heirs with Christ. And so what does that mean to, for us? It means that we too have both. We've been returned to that original design that we were made for as royal representatives to rule and reign over God's creation as God has designed us to and to represent him and spread his glory. Guys, this is the title we've been given. This is the mission that you, have been, that you have received. And here's the beautiful thing. It's not just for you. It's for us. Right? We, we hear this and says, okay, I'm a royal priest. It's not just that. It's, we are a royal priesthood. Meaning mean that God has given us a shared mission. That we collectively have the ability now to draw near to God and he's drawn near to us And now we collectively have been given this mission to go to our city, to go to our campus, to go to the world and declare his glory, declare what we've seen, to represent what we've seen. We don't go alone, we go together and God goes with us. Guys, what an incredible privilege it it is to have this title, Royal Priesthood. Let's pray. Jesus, I know the things that I've tried to let define me, the titles that I've, I've gone to to try to define me and give me purpose and meaning and significance. And Lord, I know that there are people in this room, Lord, still holding on to those titles, looking for what they can only find in you. Lord Jesus, this title is for believers, but I, I pray for the person in here right now, Lord, who this title doesn't yet describe them. Lord, they're still chasing after other titles, after other things to to give them identity. Lord, would you help them tonight to see that this title is freely available for all of us? Because it's not based on our merit. It's not based on our own moral purity, Lord. It's based on yours. So Lord, I pray that you would work in the heart of the person who does not yet know you, who's not yet can be called a royal priest to, to, to show them, Lord, that all you're asking for is surrender. Lord, that you are the one who then gives us this new title. I pray for them, Lord, but also, Lord, I pray for us. I pray for the believers in this room. God, we're so insecure. God, we're so quick to attach our identity to things that don't matter. God, would you help us to grasp the significance that we have been called a royal priesthood, Lord, that you have paid the sacrifice. God, that we can now draw near to you. But you haven't just brought us near, Lord. You've brought us into your mission. Lord, would you compel us to see the significance in that? Lord, would you compel us to go and say, Lord, I want to represent you. I want to be a part of what you called me to do. Would you give us confidence? Would you give us boldness to do just that? God, and we pray for our campus. We pray for those who don't yet know you in our dorms, on our campus, in our city, across the globe. God, you've called us into the greatest mission and to go and be representatives of you, Lord Jesus. God, would you stir within us a fire? says, Lord, I can't, do, I can't come near to you and then not go and tell and go and represent. Lord, would you help us to step into this identity that you have already given us. In your name we pray. Amen.